Jumbo Marafiki and welcome to the True Rafiki Podcast, your source for everything Africa. I'm your host and True Rafiki, Nate. Now before we get into today's episode, yes, I changed my name for the podcast again. But this is the last time. I promise, I hope, inshallah, we'll see. (laughs) Anyways, therefore, if you listen to some of my older episodes uh, before this episode, you'll notice that I wasn't always the true Rafiki. So pay attention to the disclaimer in the description of those episodes where I say basically um, the time was different, my education was different, so my views were different at the time and may not reflect my current views. So yeah, take that disclaimer seriously and make sure to understand it before you listen to whatever episode you're listening to before this episode. Anyways, enough waffling. Let's get right into today's topic, Pan-Africanism. Actually, before we get into today's topic, let me explain to you why I chose to uh, change my name. So, well, not my literal name, but the name of the podcast. Anyways, so why true Rafiki? Well, Rafiki means friend in Swahili and Marafiki means, you know, friends, sort of plural of friend. And if you've ever seen Lion King, you'll know the character Rafiki. He's an iconic character. He's actually my favorite character from the Lion King. And I just figured, why not? I mean, it sounds kind of lame. But (laughs) anyways, I mean, maybe you'll get used to it eventually. I'll have to get used to it too. But uh, yeah, so my new podcast is True Rafiki. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at RafikiPod. So feel free to go check me out on those social media to uh, reach out to me, give me any ideas, and just share your thoughts in general. I mean, literally whatever you want. You can just follow me and give me hate. I don't really care. Anyway, so... My goal for this show is to showcase Africa from the view of an African, or at least someone who's a member of the diaspora. Now, this show is not just for Africans, it's for all people. So please, share with your friends, your family, your friends, your co-workers. I said friends twice, didn't I? Anyways, share with everybody, and hopefully after listening to some of my episodes, you'll be encouraged to save up for that flight to the continent. Or if you're already there, encouraged to travel around, explore the motherland, get to know the culture, get to know the people, and experience Africa for what it truly is. Because Africa is very different from how they show it on TV. You know, Africa is not all distended bellies and war. Africa is a beautiful place with beautiful people and with, with beautiful, vibrant, you know, prosperity. You know, it's just amazing. And I hope to share some of those stories with you in this podcast. I'll be covering, you know, a lot of topics about culture, um, music, especially music. Music is huge for me and it's huge in Africa. Stories, uh, philosophy, like today is going to be more philosophical and and political. You know, of course, political stories, travel stories. And maybe one day I do hope to extend it over into the YouTube sphere when when we're able to travel again, of course. And I do go back to the continent, you know, to visit. I want to document some of my experiences on the continent just to share with you so you can see africa 
you know, through the lens of a YouTube person, I guess, who's not one of those, like, um, self-righteous, you know, volunteer people who go in like, oh, I'm going to help make Africa a better place, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But, um, but yeah, so I'll get into those uh, in other episodes and, and, and share uh, those stories in future episodes. I don't know the frequency of the episodes. I don't know how often I'll upload. It just depends on how much work each episode requires and how long it is and what kind of script I want to go with. It's just a lot of factors I have to um, factor in, I guess you could say, before I can give you an idea of how frequent the episodes are. But right now, I'm going to aim for bi-weekly. That's my aim, if not tri-weekly, like every three weeks. Um, you know, worst case scenario, every month. But if it's every month, I promised you an episode one hour plus in length. So it's going to be like a very detailed episode. And keep in mind, it's only going to be so infrequent because I don't make any money from the podcast and I have to work and I work eight hours a day. And after work, I'm usually very, very tired and just want to drink a beer and, and, and relax, play some 2K or something to get my mind um, relaxed. So I can't dedicate a lot of time to this podcast. A lot of other uh, podcasters post like one hour episodes every three, four days, but that's their full time job. Unfortunately, podcasting isn't my full time job yet. So anyways, <laughs> so uh, today, uh, a great way to get into this new, I guess, um, persona, I guess you can say, for the podcast, the True Rafiki, is to talk about Pan-Africanism. And these topics are going to all be based around Pan-Africanism and, and come from a Pan-Africanist view, because I am a Pan-Africanist. And, of course, my own biases, my own views will infiltrate the podcast every single time I speak on this podcast. So, I thought, why not introduce the True Rafiki by talking about Pan-Africanism in a very brief and easy to, to digest uh, format because Pan-Africanism is huge and it can, again, it can be its entire podcast show by itself. Um, and of course, I will go back to Pan-Africanism very, very frequently, especially when I'm talking about music uh, and, and other art and especially politics, like especially politics and philosophy. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm going to be going on about Pan-Africanism quite frequently and yeah, so without further ado, let's get right into this uh, episode, Pan-Africanism. So due to the events of early 2020 with all the police brutality on full display in the United States, Pan-Africanism has seen a sort of resurgence among young people in the West, but it's definitely not a new phenomenon. Like Pan-Africanism in short, is a global movement that aims to unify all peoples of African descent, both in Africa and the diaspora. Now, I'm not talking about just black people. I'm talking about all Africans, whether you're a white South African or white African, you're Arab African, you're any any African. The whole idea of Pan-Africanism is to unify all Africans with one unified political and social uh, cause. Now, uh, the early days of Pan-Africanism were very different from modern-day Pan-Africanism. I'll get into those differences in a few minutes here. Now, but this movie has been around since, like, movie. <laughs> this movement has been around since the 1400s with the very, very beginning of the transatlantic slave trade. And today, it is more alive than ever before. Now, the major tenet of Pan-Africanism is based on African self-reliance. Basically, the complete decolonization of Africa and its diaspora. 
For example, Pan-African thinkers and political parties all strive for a single African state, or at least an all-African encompassing alliance, sort of like the EU is in Europe. Now, Pan-Africanism calls for the freeing of Africa from Western capitalistic oppression and the consolidation of power in Africa. This results in almost all Pan-Africanists, including political parties, including myself, being very, very much radical leftist, socialist, or communist. Abandoning the tribalism forced upon Africa by the colonizers and reshaping African identity is also another important key of all Pan-African movements. Now, Pan-Africanism is huge, like massive, and it'll, it'll take a while to dissect it, so bear with me in this episode and in future episodes. So before we get into some philosophy, let's delve into some history first. Like I said earlier, Pan-Africanism has been traced back to the early days of the transatlantic slave trade. But the movement we recognize came later, well into the 18th century, with the creation of organized political movements amongst slave populations in Africa and the New World. This coincided with the Haitian Revolution, which I will for sure talk about at another date, because it, it, it's, it's an amazing story and I think it doesn't really go recognized in a lot of Western academic spheres. Anyways, another important political form of religious Pan-Africanist worldview sort of appeared in Ethiopianism in London and, and, and Ethiopia in the 19th century. Now in London, the Sons of Africa was a political group addressed by Kuhoba Otoba Kuguano. I'm sorry, some of these names I have trouble pronouncing. My Anglosphere uh, Canadian uh, accent uh, prevents me from pronouncing some of these these names and words. So bear with me, I will learn eventually with more experience. Anyways, uh, Kuguano uh, published in 1791 an early edition of his book Thoughts and Sentiments on the Evils of Slavery. Now, the group addressed meetings and organized letter-writing campaigns, published campaigning material, and visited Parliament. They also wrote figures such as Granville Sharp, William Pitt, and other members of the white abolition movement, as well as King George III himself and the Prince of Wales, the future King George IV. Now, Pan-Africanism, as we practice it today, came about at the very end of the 19th century with the founding of the African Association, later renamed to the Pan-African Association in the early 20th century. This group was formed with the intent to unite efforts against imperialism, primarily that of the British Empire. The goal of this association in its early days were as follows, this following six uh, initial goals. Number one, to promote unity. Number two, to improve relations amongst Africans. Number three, to promote the interests of Africans. Number four, to circulate information to teach Africans about their rights and privileges. Number five, to inform the British public about occurrences in other parts of the world. And number six, to inform people of potentially changed laws for blacks in South Africa. South Africa was a huge thing for Pan-Africanists like, throughout the 20th century for reasons which I'll get into in other episodes dealing with apartheid and Nelson Mandela and the ANC and so on and so forth. Now, this first group had its first major conference in London in 1900 organized by one Henry Sylvester Williams, whom I may or may not be related to. I'll have to confirm with my family historians to confirm that information for you. Anyways, Williams was a lawyer from Trinidad, then a British colony. This meeting also saw the group officially change its objective to the following, quote, securing a civil political rights for Africans and their descendants throughout the world 
to encourage friendly relations between the Caucasians and the African races, to encourage African people everywhere in educational, industrial, and commercial enterprise, to approach governments and influence legislation in the interest of the black races, and to ameliorate the rate of the condition of the oppressed Negro in all parts of the world." End quote. This, in my opinion, is where the history of Pan-Africanism can't be addressed as a single entity, rather than as different stories of different prominent Pan-Africanists. However, let me drop a few names for you of some prominent Pan-Africanists through the 20th century. We have Molefi Kete Asante, who's an African-American author, chief of the Tafo in Ghana, and author over 140 PhD dissertations, making him one of the most scholarly Pan-Africanists we have on record. We also have Frederick Douglass, who doesn't really need an intro, but admittedly he did live during the 19th century, and I will definitely do his own episode dedicated to him sometime this year. Next there is the revolutionary Kwame Ture, one of the most significant black power advocates in African history, also deserving of his own episode of course, and if you've seen Black Klansmen, you would sort of get to understand a bit of Kwame Ture's story in, in a very shallow sense. I recommend Black Klansmen, it's a Spike Lee joint, great film. There's also um, Judas and the Black Messiah, it's not a Spike Lee joint, but it's still a great film. Just came out recently, I highly recommend going to watch it. Anyways, there are hundreds more of Pan-Africanists of the 20th century I can mention off the top of my head. Like Inyere, Garvey, Gaddafi, Mandela, Nkrumah, Harriet Tubman, Brother Malcolm X, Selassie, Toure, Dubois, Williams, Lumumba, Mugabe, just, just to name the ones I can name off my mind right now. I will for sure give these great people the honors of having their own episode each, but for now, back to the topic at hand. What is the philosophy of Pan-Africanism in more details? We know the basic history, but we also need to learn the meaning. Now just like most philosophies, the starting point is clear, but the rest can be a bit muddy. The same goes for Pan-Africanism. The main goal is somewhat clear, the unification of African peoples around the world, but when we go beyond that, things become less clear. I will most likely come back to this topic in other episodes, in fact I will come back to this topic in other episodes because it takes it's such a broad topic that requires too much for just one quick, maybe half an hour, 45 minute episode, which I have time for today. Anyways, so what I will do is take some quotes, which I think describe Pan-Africanism pretty well, and place these quotes in the context of modern Africa and its massive diaspora. Anyways, first, we have a passage here from Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, possibly my favorite book of all time. In fact, it is um, uh, maybe my second or third, maybe my second favorite book of all time behind Fidel Castro's My Life, his autobiography. Anyways, the quote reads as follows, quote, There are few far-sighted Europeans who all along saw that colonial education system would serve them if and when political independence was regained in Africa. For instance, Pierre Foncine, a founder of the Alliance franchise, stated at the beginning of the century that it is necessary to attach the colonies to the metropolis by a very solid psychological bond against the day when their progressive emancipation ends in a federation as is probable that they and they will remain in the French language, thoughts, and spirits." End quote. This passage does a great job of taking one of the major tenets of Pan-Africanism and putting it in the context of French Africa. While the land cannot be politically colonized in the same way it once was, the people's minds and cultures can be. And today, more so, the people's money can also be colonized. 
Today, as Rodney stated, France still plays a role in many Francophone African countries and their politics. French military intervention is common, loans from French banks and businesses are normal, and many of these Francophone Africans end up moving to France or other Francophone-speaking parts of the world in large numbers. This is largely to some of them seeing themselves as being French first and African second. This is a typical colonial mindset. The same way many Indians from Goa claim Portugal as their homeland rather than India. Okay, so we have this, but what does it mean for Africans? Well, Rodney is calling for the decolonization of oneself, but what happens when we decolonize ourselves? What do we, we replace it with? Well, Julius Inere has a quote which will take this into another level of thinking and take me into the next part of this issue. Anyways, this quote reads as follows, quote, and just as, in the first scramble for Africa, one tribe was divided against another tribe to make the division of Africa easier. In the second scramble for Africa, one nation is going to be divided against another nation and make it easier to control Africa by making her weak and divided against herself." End quote. This brings me to another common trait of Pan-Africanism, the abandonment of tribalism. What I mean is reshaping one's identity based on modern African ideals rather than the ideals given to us by colonized people. Many Pan-African thinkers have condemned the idea of a tribe as a tool used by colonizers to make the colonized easier to control. For example, let's take a quick look at Rwanda. The Hutu and the Tutsi, so-called tribes, were nothing more than colonial fabrications based on the slight shade difference in skin tone. The resulted in the Tutsi being seen by Europeans as superior due to the slightly lighter skin complexion. Therefore, the Tutsi were placed in positions of power over the Hutu by the European colonizers. This, of course, snowballed into the Rwandan genocide in the later part of the 20th century, which I will also talk about in a future episode. Tutsi attacking Hutu, Hutu attacking Tutsi, and a third group, the Chwa, being caught up in the middle all because of misconceived European code of morality. The old cliche, united we stand, divided we fall, is a great way to put what Africa must do in order to achieve the Pan-Africanist goal. The same tribalism is present all across Africa, where conflicts based on European delegated racisms is common. Prior to the colonization, these conflicts never spilled over into full-fledged war and genocide. It was only with the introduction of colonization and the intercontinental slave trade that this occurred. The next quote comes from one Marcus Garvey, and it does introduce the idea of keeping to African tradition, and it reads as follows, quote, The pen is mightier than the sword, but the tongue is mightier than both of them put together, end quote. This harkens back to the strong oral tradition of African history. See, much of Africa's history is not written, rather shared through word of mouth. Parents share the stories from generations back, and this is how African culture and history is passed on. This has often been criticized by European scholars due to their opinion that it is not reliable source of information. This, of course, is an extremely Eurocentric way of viewing things, which is what Garvey was getting at here. Again, the common theme here uh, at present is Africa determining what it means for itself, self-determination, I guess you could say. In order for Africa to move forward, all vestiges of colonialism must be shed. The last and most important quote I have here is a short one from Kwame Nkrumah. 
and it reads as follows, quote, Africa is one continent, one people, and one nation, end quote. Now, no quote in my opinion can sum up the entire purpose of Pan-Africanism better than this. It's simple, easy to digest, and is basically the mission statement of the entire movement. In order to be a Pan-Africanist, this must be the primary goal. Nkrumah also spoke of unity, also saying, quote, the people of Africa are crying for unity, end quote, in another speech. Now, this unity is, is crucial for all Africans, whether you're from Egypt, Morocco, South Africa, Madagascar, Seychelles, Cape Verde, Senegal, Guinea, anywhere in Africa. Being unified in one African cause is crucial for the advancement of Africa and African people all around the world. This means shedding uh, colonial tribal boundaries based on British, French, Portuguese, Belgian, and Dutch ideals, and creating a new unified African identity. This means starting African political movements, African philosophies, writing African stories for African people by African people to understand that Africa can become a great place for Africans and anyone else around the world. Now, unity is important because unity is the best way to stand against oppression. For example, Africa today, as stated before, is being colonized in ways which are not exactly geographical colonial uh, colonization of the land. Africa is being colonized in one major way, and that is financially, economically. For example, we have Chinese businesses, Chinese uh, companies going into Africa, building factories, and creating a debt-based economy for many of these African countries. What this means is basically a Chinese business funded by the Chinese government would build a highway or a port or an airport in Africa for a ridiculously cheap amount of money and then that African country has to pay back that Chinese entity in whole over a certain amount of years. Of course, this never happens and it creates a cycle of debt, a cycle of poverty for these African countries. Now, China often recuperates the money by building factories and either hiring uh, African laborers for next to nothing or importing Chinese laborers to labor on African resources to benefit China and its government. Now, to be a Pan-African means to be against this sort of outside colonization. Although China is a supposedly communist country, which it is not, just because Pan-African is a socialist doesn't mean Pan-Africans must stand beside China due to its so-called facade of socialism. Now, why do I say Pan-Africanism is a form of socialism? Well, unity to one cause and benefit for all people are two major tenets of all socialist thinkers, whether African or not African. And it's as simple as that. I will also go into this in further details in future episodes when I talk about actual Pan-African socialists such as Thomas Sankara. Now, this episode is shorter than how my future episodes may be, but it is very important for me to get it out there as sort of an introduction to the new format or new theme of the show. Like I said earlier, these topics are coming from a Pan-African point of view. So in order to understand my point of view and the point of view of the show, one must understand Pan-Africanism. Again, it was very brief and very shallow, but of course, I don't want to waste five hours of your time describing philosophy when I can share this philosophy through the stories of the great continent of Africa. Anyways, I'm Nate, your true Rafiki. You can find me on social media at RafikiPod on Instagram and Twitter. 
I don't have any other social media associated with this podcast, so anything else you see, it ain't me. So how I'm going to begin and end these episodes from now on is going to be with a song. I'm going to begin with one song and end with another song. I don't know what song I'm choosing for today, but I will leave the name of the song and the artist in the description. All the songs will be available on Spotify, so please go support the artist, share their music, download their songs, stream them, maybe buy their albums if you're able to support them, because all of the artists are smaller African artists who definitely, I'm sure, wouldn't mind a bit of support from us Westerners. There is no song at the beginning of today's episode, or maybe there is a song, I don't know, but we'll see how it goes. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed. Please share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, and whoever, and share it with anyone who you may think could learn more about Africa. Stay tuned for future episodes over the next couple of weeks, and I'll keep you posted on my social media with any updates that I may have and want to share with you all. Anyways, stay safe, and I appreciate the support on my episode. Chief, you got